This is The Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. The Canadian Investor Podcast. Welcome in to the show. My name is Braden Dennis, as always, joined by the brilliant Simon Belanger. We have a great show for you all today, as always. We're going to start with seven virtues of great investors, the investor sentiment here in Canada. And it's time for the Canadian science investor again, Simone. You're tuning in once again. You're going to like that. And then you can round us out with a stock lending program. All right. I'm going to kick us off. Have, do you know who Jason Zweig is? The No, I don't. No. Jason Zweig. He writes for the Wall Street Journal. Okay. And okay. Uh, he's wrote all these kinds of other books as well. He's got tons of books. And I, I've been on a rabbit hole on his blog on just like jasonsweek.com. He's got some awesome, uh, some write, some awesome writings about investing, you know, temperament, that kind of stuff. And he has a post called The Seven Virtues of Great Investors. And I'm going to read each one and my favorite passage from it as well. And then we'll comment, uh, comment and discuss. So, Simone, curiosity is the first one. It says, great investors are afraid of what they do know because they might realize it might be biased, incomplete or wrong. So they never deviate from their lifelong relentless quest to learn more. So this is kind of like they know what they know and they know what they don't know. And that's why they keep keep pursuing and, and learning and, and being curious. And it's like Buffett and Munger sit in their office and read all day long, infinitely curious. And I think that's why they've continued to have an edge for so long. Yeah. Yeah. I think Twitter is great for that, too, because you can, you know, follow the right people. And oftentimes you'll be able to see some different thesis or some people might be bullish when you're bearish on a company and vice versa. So I think it's a great way to be critical about your own analysis. Check your blind spots, if you will. Yeah. Uh, number two, skepticism. The main product of the financial industry isn't portfolios. It's propaganda. And propaganda with numbers cloaked in jargon can hit investors like general anesthesia. That's, that's really good. Uh, no, it's true, right? Like, the world's always trying to tell us to do something. You go on a financial news site and it's painted in red. <laughs> the market could be up 20% year to date and they have a bad news story to tell you and things just never change. That's, uh, that's, I don't see that changing ever either. No, and I think it's important to remember for a lot of people that a lot of financial institution or trading platforms, they benefit when you trade. So clearly they want that swing in emotions because you're more likely to trade, more likely to get them some fees. So I think that's something for people to remember. Number three, independence. If you let other people do the thinking for you, you've traded away your greatest asset and made your results and emotions hostage to the whims of millions of strangers. And those strangers can do the strangest things. I like that last part. Those strangers can do the strangest things, right? Like, you gotta be able to do your own thinking. You gotta be like, you, you can listen to this podcast. You can listen to other podcasts. You can listen to people you trust and respect. And, and those all might be really valuable signals and useful things. And, and there's so much you can learn from other people. 
you bring that in, you boil it all together, and you got to be able to think on your own. I always say you can't borrow conviction. And I think that's so, so true because you don't know why someone bought or sold the security truly. You don't really truly know. They can say one thing, it could be personal. They could say another thing and it could be just portfolio management decisions that might be irrelevant to the business and your process. So you got to be able to do your own thinking. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've talked about it time and time again. If you don't know what you own and are not able to think, you know, independently, then you're probably going to end up making some a lot of mistakes because you're you don't really know where you stand. And then you follow people that you think are, you know, have your best interest. But at the end of the day, you know, whoever you follow, they, you know, everyone is looking out for themselves. I mean, they may still have good intentions, but um, that's the reality. You, you're you your best advocate. That's right. Next one, humility. This one's timely. You and I were talking about this this morning. You, we were texting back and forth about how important humility is as an investor because you have to be open and honest about your mistakes that you've made, what you do know, what you don't know. It goes back to being curious. Like, it's really hard to learn from mistakes without humility. I think that that's really important, right? Like we're all going to make mistakes. We've made several, we'll make several more. And humility allows you to think reflectively about those decisions and, and, and learn from them. Even if they were the, sometimes that's even the right decision. There's a lot of learning learnings to be made from when you do things right. Um, and so I think this one's important. Yeah, I mean, show me someone who says they've never made a mistake and I'll show you a liar. That's how I see it. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Discipline. The late globe, the late globe, the late global investor, Sir John Templeton relocated from New York to the Bahamas where he told me decades ago, the Wall Street Journal arrived days late. By reading the news a week later, Templeton told me he could put it in perspective and prevent himself from overreacting. This is an interesting little <laughs> tidbit. Whether or even not like this, it's, it's true, uh, is, is irrelevant because the news when it's in the moment is always more emotional than in hindsight. Like if you were to read news from last year or, or read the news in March of 2020, some of those headlines. If you were to just go on like the internet time machine and see like what these financial news sites looked like in mid-March of 2020 and read them now, I guarantee your brain activity is not going to react the same way as if you read it, you know, at the time versus now. So I, I think this is really important. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, nothing to add to that one. <laughs> uh, patience. Patience is often measured not in months or years, but in decades. Readers added their own keen suggestions for how to extend your time horizons and look past short-term disappointments. I don't know how that part was relevant, but I copied and pasted it here into the document. Patience is one of those things where people think of patience as as like, you know, Waiting a couple days, a couple weeks, you know, holding the stock for, you know, a couple quarters. When in reality, 
everyone who has really executed this well has done it for a long, long time. And um, patience in decision-making, patience with companies, patience with management teams, patience across the board is uh, so, so key for investors. Yeah, and it's easier said than done, right? I think it's, for a lot of people, it's delaying this grat- like instant gratification to uh, you know, later years. So rewarding your future self versus the right now. And it's not always easy because sometimes you have to make little sacrifices where, you know, one easy one. And I know you'd have to be in a decent financial situation for that, but it could be the difference between, you know, buying a brand new luxury car versus a used car. And I'm using that because I'm kind of going through that right now, but, um, you know, it could be the difference between that. So yes, you may not have the flashiest thing and the nicest thing, but you'll get the reward in your, in, in the future and the patients will be rewarded. So you have to see it that way, but it's not always easy. There's peer pressure, there's social circle. Some people just want to look good to others, uh, but you have to get in that right mindset. The, you know, going all cliche here with Buffett quotes, but the one that comes to mind, the Buffett quote that comes to mind is the stock market is a device for transferring money from the impatient to the patient. This is brilliant. And I think that is very true. Last one, courage. You can be pretty sure you're manifesting courage as an investor when you listen to what your gut tells you and then do the opposite. The decisions that are difficult and courageous are the ones that go against the grain. They go against consensus. They feel bad at the time. Those are usually some of the best investments um, because you know you're, you're going against the grain. You're thinking on your own. You're probably getting better value if it's not a consensus name. And those types of moves take actual courage. And uh, being contrarian at the time feels bad. You feel stupid. You feel like you need some sort of courage to be able to do it. Because the easy consensus company that everyone likes and loves, it's easy to buy. It's super easy to buy. Yeah, but don't be a contrarian just to be a contrarian. I think you have to have done your research. Um, You know, maybe, I guess right now we talked about it last episode, but, you know, backing up the truck on uh, CIBC might be something... uh, uh, it requires a lot of courage. I'll say that. Anyone who does it, is it well-placed? I don't know. But I mean, if they're right, the bet could definitely pay out. That's for sure. Yeah. Well said. Don't be contrarian just for the sake of being contrarian. Sometimes the market is very right uh, on a lot of things. But if you have your own conviction to think otherwise, then that requires independent thinking and it requires courage. So those are seven traits of seven virtues, he says, of great investors. Most of them, you know, n- notice how none of them are analytical skills or you know, ability to forecast and model. Uh, you know, those are things that all can be learned. These kinds of virtues or traits of your behavioral psychology and how you're going to be able to remain disciplined and act rationally for a really long time are usually more (laughs) reflective of investment returns over time. Yeah, yeah, I mean, totally agree. Temperament plays a much bigger part in it. And I mean, at the end of the day, right, 
forget about picking individual stocks. If you have the right temperament, you could just put money in an index fund and just be consistent and just, you know, set it, forget it, be consistent, add to it. And just there, I mean, would probably make you a pretty good investor over very long periods of time. You don't need a PhD in economics or math or whatever it is. You just kind of add regularly, set it and forget it. You don't panic if there's a broad market correction of 20-30%. Um, there's a temperament. Uh, it's, you know, that's what I think most people should be doing, to be honest. Yeah. So now we'll move on to the uh, TD Direct Investing Index. So I, we've done this one a couple times. Um, it's always really like I find it really interesting. So they'll look at the most bought stocks over a monthly period, the most sold and the ones that are held and what I actually discovered is you can actually uh, filter it and one of the filters I don't know if you knew that Brayden but you can do it by age group so it's actually pretty interesting so I did you know I played around a little bit so the first thing um, the index kind of looks at the overall investor sentiment and this was for July of 2023 obviously there's usually about a month delay or so when it comes out um, the investment sentiment was neutral. TC Energy was one of the companies that had a big, big jump. And looking back, I was kind of wondering, because that's a one thing I find with this index is it tends to, you know, some of the companies that were in the news, they may show up here. So it's, it's always interesting. But uh, TC Energy came up to number two. And that one, I believe they had announced a sale of like five. Billion or something in assets in July. Um, so it didn't really surprise me. At first, I was a little surprised, but then I kind of remembered, oh, yeah, that's right. They did have that set in assets. I did a segment July. on it on the pod. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, a lot of stuff happened since then, but. Um, and, and millions of people are tuning into this podcast. So that's it, probably. We're moving markets, Simon. That's what we are exactly. Doing so no, that one was interesting. So this was the uh, most bought. So number one, unchanged with Tesla. It's number two, up from number twenty-four is TC Energy, like we just mentioned. Telus is number three, up from number nine. Shopify down from number three at number four. And Bridge is number five, pretty much uh, stood still. It was previously number four. TD at uh, number six. Nvidia. Number seven, again, just some slight changes for these last two. Microsoft, a big uh, jump from number 15 to eight. Uh, Bank of Nova Scotia, number nine. And then we have BCE up from 14 to number 10. And like I mentioned, like any other names before, I kind of go show, talk about the data for like millennials and Gen Z, which I find pretty interesting. Sweet. What, what age group is this one? This is overall. Yeah. Oh, this is overall. Okay. Yeah. 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 I, yeah, I want to see some. Uh, I want to see some Gen Z. Some, Gen uh, Z. I want to see some Gen Z Yolo bats. Yolo bats. Okay. Well, let's filter that here. So you filter, and for those on Join TCI, you'll be able what I like to see what I do, and you can actually oh, it's Gen Z and millennials. Okay. Gen Z and millennials. So we're in that bucket, um, and you can select like up to three filters. You can do regions, trading styles, so active traders versus long term investors, and then you can even go by sector. They do narrow it down to just five names, though, when you look at uh, the kind of age group. 
through. And for Gen Z and millennials, it's Tesla, Telus, and Bridge, Shopify, and TD, which is pretty interesting. It's a mix between growth and dividends, pretty much, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's I have no, I have no comment. It's <laughs> it's just very strange. Huh? <laughs> um, it's quite the portfolio. Yeah, and the other thing that I found interesting, so the they you can actually do it by sector in terms of holdings. So um, again, Canadian bias, if we look at Gen Z, is still very present. So Canadian equities, it's 44%. U.S. equities, 34.6%. And just some minor changes, so I won't talk about the one-month change. It's ne- negligible, if you ask me. Um, so those top two are actually the, the biggest for Gen Z and millennials which I mean I think it's good and bad I mean I think it's good that there's around I would say what 80% in equities um, I would say there's still quite a strong Canadian bias that's the not so good but it's kind of nice to see that there's not too much in fixed income at that young age because typically people will have much more time ahead of them Does it, uh, what, what did it say 1981 and after yeah that's correct yeah for, for millennials and Gen Z. Yeah, I'm an okay. old millennial. You're a, you're a young millennial. You're just on the border, I think, right? Yeah, I'm on the border. Yeah, uh, but don't call me a Gen Z. Hey, I will not. Uh, yeah. I will not accept. <laughs> I will not accept that. No, this is interesting. I didn't know you could filter all this down. I don't know if this is new or not. Yeah, I don't know. I just thought it was kind of funny to, or just interesting to look at. And then if we go back, um, let's do all of the population, just because it gives us ten names. I, I just find it a. Uh, you know, a little bit more insightful when we have all the 10 names here it's to what was sold. Um, so this one is pretty interesting. So Tesla, number one, TD, number two, Shopify, uh, number three, NVIDIA, number four, Air Canada, number five, Suncor, six, seven is AMD, eight is uh, Bank of Nova Scotia. Um, one that's interesting. So, at eight mining corporation. So, it's a Bitcoin mining company that was sold, the most sold. Um, it was number 14 to nine. And then Neo ADR, which is, I believe, a uh, electric car manufacturer in China. Am I correct on that one? That's the, yeah, the NIO. Neo. That's correct. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's right. So, anything that stands out for you there? Yeah. Uh, Banks and electric cars. <laughs> Again, I yeah. Banks, electric cars, and semiconductors. It's such a... This list is just... It cracks me up every time. Because there's so many of these, like, dividend yielder favorites that people just kind of buy all the time. And then there's always the hot... The hot stock. So it's always like these staple Canadian blue chippers that just <laughs> are always popular. And then the hottest stock of the year is sprinkled in. You know what I yeah. mean? It's like, that's all. And Tesla is just remarkably persistent in this list. I, I don't think it's n- ever not been number one. Yeah, the sold too, which is interesting, but it's... So it's just the most traded security by far. Yeah, well, because it's number one at bought and sold. So you're right, it's the most traded. Yeah. Yeah. And then if you go at held, um, that's an interesting one, at least to see what people hold. Surprise, surprise, look who's number one. (laughs) Not Tesla, but it's funny that it's TD, the most held stock. Is Tesla the most held on this at all? Is it even on top 10? 
I don't believe so. So it just so goes people to are show. Just, oh, yeah. Top oh, it 10. It is it's number, number 10. 10. Yeah. But that so, just shows you people are just trading it constantly. Yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of nice. And maybe next time we do it, I can do it like trading versus people old long term because I yeah. haven't dug it at what it actually looks like. But I thought it's pretty interesting. But in the most held for people interesting, you have TD, Enbridge, uh, Bank of Nova Scotia, TELUS, BCE, Royal Bank, you know, CIBC, which is kind of funny. The top seven names are all big dividend players, Apple, Suncor, and Tesla. So essentially out of the 10 names, 80%. 80, 80% is like high yielding dividends in a combination of financial energy or telecos. There's the TSX right there. Yeah, exactly. So congrats, uh, TD Direct Investing. You're invested in the TSX, but with individual companies. <laughs> <laughs> <That's what> I- <laughs> oh, it's so funny. I mean, like these portfolio, like. Sorry, I shouldn't say the portfolio. The statistics on what's so held, so traded, so owned, the, the the asset allocation, it just feels like the blind leading the blind, man. Like, well, my my point is, why wouldn't you just buy the TSX, uh, the TSX index, an ETF, and you'd basically have the top ten right there? Not quite, obviously, but I don't know. It'd be cheaper to do, in my opinion, too. You just buy it once and. That's I it. just see I see the exposure and I think y'all need to just buy the S and P. Stop <laughs> stop doing what you're doing. Y'all need to just buy the S and P or a global ETF like XUU and call it a day. <laughs> yeah, I know no, the I, listeners of this podcast have uh, have different different statistics than this. I know I know it. Yeah, I mean, possibly. I mean, I mean, obviously, TD is just one of the brokerages. So you have yeah. to, you know, I don't know what size is the sample size here. I don't know how many account holders they have in Canada. Uh, so I think we have to take that with a grain of salt. But um, it's probably big enough that it's, you know, probably relatively consistent across the board. Maybe not identical, but I'm sure you'll see some names that would repeat themselves if you looked at all the brokerages in Canada. Are you ready for the Canadian science investor? Let's do it. Yeah. I don't even know if that even makes sense. I think we need a proper... Last time set. it was what? Superconductors? Yeah. Superconductors. Um, I've done a bunch now. I've done a bunch. Uh, animals always kind of make it in here somehow. And they're making it in here today. This segment is called Evolving into Crabs. Okay. okay, so <laughs> crab people—is that what you're cr- saying? Cr- crab people? No, uh, this is about business and evolving into crabs. So, on today's episode of the Canadian Science Investor, I've gotten to know a startup investor here in Toronto who sent me this article to the Scientific American called "Why Do Animals Keep Evolving into Crabs." That's the name of the the title of the post on Scientific American, and. Him and I were talking back and forth about how there's certain characteristics that entrepreneurs gain, certain skills, certain experiences that they, you know, on their second time around or like things they would do differently, they go down similar higher leverage paths the second time around. For instance, here's, an, here's a clear example. Um, it, entrepreneurs that have done tar pit ideas that are like, they sound really good, but they're really hard to monetize or 
it's really overplayed, really saturated, you know, like the Airbnb for X, the Uber for X or the social media for Y. You know, there's so many of these just like kind of crappy startup ideas and they require very difficult distribution or like marketplaces. They sound amazing. And if you pull them off, they're like the best businesses ever. Like, you know, Uber, yeah. or Airbnb. But you got to fill two sides of the demand, right? You got to fill the the supply of, of vendors and you got to supply the demand of customers. You got to, you basically got to build two businesses at once. It's really hard. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if you want, people want to have a look at the, the kind of ideas that fall into that bucket. I mean, you just have to watch uh, Dragon's Den or Shark Tank, right? Oftentimes, yeah. that's what it is. It's not necessarily a bad idea in itself, but it may require just crazy amounts of capital and it might not even work. I think that's uh, typically what you see. Exactly. And so the second time around, or the, you know, these entrepreneurs who have kind of evolved, find themselves going into much lower churn, sticky business to business type businesses, B2B, uh, you know, working with less customers, but higher ticket sizes, that kind of stuff. And, you know, and he, he sent me this article, it's kind of like this. In, in nature, animals keep evolving into crabs through millions of years of history. Animals keep evolving through, you know, evolution into crabs. Here it goes into uh, the, the stats on here in Scientific American. A flat, rounded shell, a tail that's folded under the body. This is what a crab looks like. And apparently what peak performance might look like, at least according to evolution. A crab-like body plan has evolved at least five separate times among crustaceans, a group that includes crabs, lobsters, and shrimp. In fact, in evolution, it's happened so often that there's a name for it. It's called carcanate. Carcanization. <laughs> Carcanization. That doesn't say, that sounds like I just made well, it up. Well, no, I mean, it comes, I guess, from carcass, right? <laughs> yeah, it's weird. I don't know. Yeah. I was trying to think. Carcanization. It's kind of like crustacean, but whatever. Yeah. There's been all these different, and it goes into all these examples of like through evolution and survival of the fittest and natural selection. All these like paths for animals evolving end up looking like crabs or being these types of crustaceans. And you might see this kind of evolution and natural selection happen in business as well. When I read this article, my mind immediately switched off of like startup mode and into this crazy phenomenon that happens time and time and time again. The saying is, on a long enough time horizon, everyone sells ads. So that's the quote people say it around all the time. On a long enough horizon, everyone sells ads. Now, this is a concept uh, because it's true. Like, I'll go through examples, but uh, large successful businesses will find a way to monetize their customers and data even further. And ads is the most obvious common example. Like animals have evolved into various species of crabs over time and time again, over millions of years, businesses, once they reach a certain mass, they all start selling ads. Amazon, the e-commerce store, what's, what's a huge part of their business now is selling ads for placement. They even sell ads on their packaging now. 
You know, like on the boxes, they have ads. <laughs> they have huge ad contracts for that. Google started as a search engine. They got all this traffic and they're like, huh, what if we just start allowing people to pay to be at the top of the search engine? Mug Zuckerberg in the dorm room of Harvard building a hot or not game for students. Didn't, you know, it, this is just an obvious ads business. Uber and DoorDash. Now that they have this marketplace, you can pay to be at the top and featured. Once you have this kind of distribution and traffic and, and whatever it is, bringing in ads is the most obvious extra monetization that every business can do. Apple does it on almost all of their services. Almost every single one of their services, Apple has an ads business in. Think of the App Store, think of their news business, think of, gosh, everything. They even charge Google, what, $25 billion a year to be the primary search business. That's a, that's a form of advertising. That is a form of Google getting distribution by paying money. And so there's little things that you'll notice over time that on a long enough time horizon, certain businesses will go after these like obvious wins. And ads is just the most clear time and time again Every business that has survived a really long time will eventually start selling ads. And uh, that's, the, that's, the, that's the Canadian science investor. Uh, who, who knew cro- crabs were so elite in their uh, genetic makeup? Any personal trainer can turn me into a crab or what? Reach out to... <laughs> Man, if you just like do enough like rows, upright rows, and you just get like a huge, get, like, a huge yeah. shell, you know, you'll have a... Nice rounded lats. You, you might look like a crab. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think it's going to take some time. I need to be smoother everywhere, but uh, too much facial hair. <laughs> but uh, enough. Uh, so a, g- a, good whack, a good waxing and uh, a couple of lap pull downs. And I think, I think we can make it happen. Well, another one I think is um, Auto Trader. So, like I said, I was, you know, shopping for a new used car and they have those promoted listing, which I find very annoying because I usually go by price, uh, low to high, and the promoted listing go at the top. And I'm like, man, it, it's not even my price filter. Like, remove that from there. But uh, they, they do it too. I think eBay started years ago as well. Like, I mean, they, you're right. They all get on the, the bandwagon eventually. Uh, they do that. I think Walmart's starting to do it. Walmart so, has name, a huge ads business. Yeah. So name the business. I mean, if there's an opportunity. I'm just looking on like the largest companies by market cap. Oh, I thought you were looking up the largest crabs in the world. <laughs> largest <laughs> super giant crab. I'm just looking here and like over half of them sell ads. Like yeah. over oh, half yeah. of them, it's become like a core part of their business, if not just a small part. I mean, even Netflix that said they wouldn't. I mean, obviously it's yeah. uh, it Perfect depends example. on now they sell ads. Yeah, it, it depends on the type of subscription. Granted, but I've noticed that with Amazon Prime, we have an add-on like a cheap one for some reality shows that my wife likes to uh, to watch, and you pay for that add-on, and there's still freaking ads in it. I'm like, that's the whole point of paying is you don't get ads. No way. This is yeah. incredible. The the Guinness World Records. A Japanese spider crab called, I kid you not, quote, Big Daddy (laughs) was the world's largest crab in captivity ever, measuring 10 feet, two and a half inches, 10 feet wide. 
Big Daddy was awarded the record for the longest crab wow. leg on record ever as well with a, a four foot eight uh, leg. Big okay. Daddy, the widest crustacean ever. That is so incredible. Don't, don't be messing with that crab because, uh, yeah, I think uh, I'm going to bet on the crab. Yeah. All right, moving on. What do we got last? So, couple, I would say about um, in the last month or two, had a few people asking some questions about Wealth Simple stock landing program, including Deborah, who's one of a, our joint TCI subscribers. So, lending out shares is nothing new in the stock market. Best known for what most people might think of it, it's uh, used for shorting a stock, for example. And for those who are not familiar with shorting a stock, essentially, you borrow shares from someone else, you take those shares, you sell them right now, and essentially you're hoping that the shares will go down in time and you're able to sell them at a lower, uh, buy and back, sorry, at a lower price and you end up pocketing the difference. So it, it is a way you have to be sure, obviously, if you're shorting a stock because technically the losses are unlimited. But there are other reasons that people or companies may want to borrow shares. They include use the borrowed stock as collateral to cover deficits or failed deliveries for market making purposes or to have influence on corporate actions like voting. So you may want to borrow some shares because you're a large uh, entity who's trying to influence the vote on a certain action that's uh, shareholder approval. Now, what is new with Wealth Simple is it's offering it to basically anyone without requiring a minimum amount of stock to lend out. So how it works, you can only do it in TFSA non-registered account. You retain ownerships of the shares so you can sell them at any time. So even if they're lent out, borrowers have to put 100% collateral against the shares they borrow. It's a revenue sharing model. So what this means is that if I have Apple shares to lend out and someone borrows Apple shares, then every wealth simple client who has shares of Apple available for lending will get some income. So for example, say Braden and I both have 10 shares of Apple ready to lend out. Someone decides to borrow four shares of Apple. The revenue would be split equally between Braden and I since we both have 10 shares of Apple ready to lend. The revenue is calculated daily and distributed monthly because there is a fee when you borrow the shares. They say there's no fees, but that's a little bit of BS, I think. So there are fees. They take 50% cut on the income you generate. So no, there's not a fee, but they do take a cut. That's how they make money on it. So the Sounds income like that a you- fee. <laughs> so, yeah. So just, I think it's uh, semantics, I think, that they say. Uh, I view it as a fee personally. Yeah, like I, I, I have a new political platform. I'm running as prime minister of the country. There will be no tax, but I will take fifty percent of your income. Yeah, pretty much. So, <laughs> but <laughs> or it's not called no, tax. No, there will be no tax. There's just going to be a fee on your income. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. how you do it. You I only, it. I only charge fees. I don't charge taxes yeah, on my political fee. platform. Yeah, yep, that's yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> um, some of the benefits is the biggest benefit here is that you can earn passive income on stocks that that don't 
even pay a dividend, and you also keep ownership of the shares. The downside is you give up your voting rights while the shares are lent out. You don't have any Canadian Investor Protection Fund coverage. This is called the CIPF, which is similar for uh, to the CDIC for deposit, for example, but it's for investment account. And maybe that is something we look at in the future because it's not something we've talked about in terms of uh, insurance protection or protection for investments that are within your account if anything happens with the, the broker for example you lose dividend rights but typically the borrower would be required to send a payment equal to the dividend uh, that to the lender of the actual stock. Note, though, that I didn't see on their website, so it's something worth asking if you're lending out Canadian paying stocks, um, that if you're able to, to do that, because U.S. dividend paying stocks are not eligible for lending. So that's something to keep in mind. So it is limited, and they do say on their side that typically the higher volatility of a stock, the more you'll be able to get income on it, because then... Um, you know, one of the things is the more volatility, the more people will be willing to potentially borrow a stock. So that's where people, you know, that war, that's where the demand might come from. So something to keep in mind. Obviously, anyone looking into it, make sure you do your research here. Uh, this is just an overview quest. Um, well, simple. Sorry. They did. They have a decent FAQ, but there's a couple of different pages I had to rely on. I also relied on, uh, let's say, non-wealth simple sources to get a better idea on typically how lending kind of works, lending and borrowing. Uh, but, you know, it's something people can do, but there are some downsides. I don't know what the uptake is. Maybe it's not even worthwhile to, to put it out there. Um, I don't know. So if anyone has done it, has some experience feel free to shoot us an email i think it'd be interesting not something i'm personally interested to do uh, right now there's other ways to generate income like buying actual good companies that pay a dividend that is one of them um, there's also something i talked to about in the past is doing kind of a covered call strategy that is another way so essentially um, you can just sell calls of a stock uh, that you own and be able to collect the premium and then if the stock you know if the uh, stock goes below then you could potentially get a call on it but still it is there's different types of strategies all that to say to actually get an income from your stock outside of dividends even if that's not the the one you're focusing on i like to keep it simple i like to keep it unbelievably simple when it comes to all these other things you can do. Uh, you know, there's a million different fun little instruments you can use. And guess what? I use none of them. I buy and hold great quality equities that I want to hold for a really long time. So uh, this is, well, fascinating. Uh, keep it simple, folks. Keep it simple. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the covered call, we've gone over that before. The issue with it is that it definitely limits your downside, but it caps your upside as well. Because a, a covered call means that if you're selling, so typically you'll do that in 100 shares, you might say you have 100 shares of Apple, they're currently trading at $100. And let's say you sell the covered call for $110. So if the shares go to 150 that call is going to be actioned 
or there's going to be someone kind of buying those shares because they can buy it at a lower price than than they are currently at right now. So it's something to keep in mind. We've had a lot of questions about covered call ETF. We showed the differences between returns of covered call ETFs and the equivalent without that. And the equivalent always does better than the covered call. So something to keep in mind, but it does offer some downside protection because you get that extra income. So um, I'm with Braden. I keep it simple and that's my strategy. But, you know, some people may like those strategies. Just make sure you're well informed and you do your research because there's no free lunch in investing wherever You know, you think something might be a free lunch. There's always going to be a downside. There might be an upside to it, too. Don't get me wrong, but it's never a free lunch. It's always some sort of catch, isn't there? It's like what we talked about, like uh, what I said, one of the important characteristics of a good investor is just being a little bit skeptical, <laughs> you know, like just, yeah, that doesn't mean not optimistic or doesn't mean like, you know, not investing for the long term. It's just like a little bit skeptical because there's no, if, if something's too good to be true, it, it probably not, it is. Probably <laughs> is. It, it yeah. certainly is when it comes to this stuff, right? And when I see, you know, the covered call stuff, you know, this kind of thing, I'm always like, hey, do you want more complexity with worse returns? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Hey, can, okay, can I offer you more complexity and worse and you make less money? It's like, where do I sign up, folks? Uh, it's just a t- it's just a tough, tough. Or tough even thing. those like, you know, 15, 20 percent uh, yielding funds oh, yeah. or companies like we've had. Yeah. Time and time again, people send us emails about that. And, you know, you zoom out a little bit. And, of course, it's usually like clockwork. It's been a losing investment. Capital Um, destruction. Exactly. I mean, sometimes people do all right because their timing is good. But if your strategy is based on timing, good luck because it's hard. It's easy to get once. It's hard to repeat. All right, Simeon, we got to go. I am uh, yeah. 30 seconds from being on the clock of, uh, you know what time it is. Okay. It's fantasy yeah. football draft, baby. It's, oh, it's right. time. We're back. Okay. We're back in full swing. <laughs> that's a big meeting. Okay. You have fun. <laughs> like the Simeon, I'm like, dude, can't do the pod. Too busy today. Got a fantasy football pod, uh, fantasy football uh, draft. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, come to listen to us every Monday and Thursday. We talked a little bit about jointci.com. Go check it out. Support the show. It's $9 Canadian a month. You get our portfolios. You get us on video. And we answer your questions. Yeah, I do the dividend portfolio. We try. I'll usually try to go on every couple days to answer questions and Braden as well. And if, you know. If you can, we do hope that you, you know, you uh, support us there. At least give us a nice review on Apple or Spotify. That's free. It won't cost you anything. Helps us a whole lot. So that would be great as well. Yeah, good point. That is the easiest free thing to do. Support the show. If you're on Apple Podcasts, give us a little review, five-star rating. And then on Spotify, you can just hit the five-star thing. We truly appreciate it. We'll see you in a few days. Take care. Bye-bye. The Canadian Investor Podcast should not be taken as investment or financial advice. Braden and Simone may own securities or assets mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment or financial decisions.